I would say that some of these minor league organizations down here have more season ticket holders than the Rays. Uh, and that's, that's an unfortunate reality, but it's just the way it's just so different in the South, you know, where football, I mean, baseball is really competing with football and in some parts basketball for any sort of uh, love. Well, Jonathan, David Ortiz put on a clinic, and, and this is not a 24-year-old superstar, 28-year-old hitting his prime. David Ortiz is almost 40, isn't he? And uh, really, we don't know his age, but did you ever question when he was going through this tear that maybe he's using some performance-enhancing drugs because he's hitting people's fastballs, pulling them? I mean, this is usually not what an older man does. Right. Uh, you know, Ortiz being the age of 38, allegedly, uh, you know, with Miguel Tejada, we all know they, t- you know, some of those guys try to shave two years off. Um, <laughs> but or- Ortiz has just been such a good hitter. And I think that's one advantage he has over a lot of players is that Ortiz only has to focus on hitting. He doesn't have to practice in the field. He doesn't have to do any of that. All he has to do is hit. And we've seen in his career by just playing DH, when he started out in Minnesota as an outfielder, his, his hitting suffered. And back then he was around 215. Now he's at like 250. So are there performance-enhancing drugs involved? I don't know. People tell me Barry Bonds going from 180 to 265 was unnatural, and it was proven to be. <laughs> he has gotten in trouble for supposedly you know, performance-enhancing drugs. So I guess I let the public be the judge, but I want to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I mean, David Ortiz put on a clinic and – I mean, where does this put him in history? I mean, this this was a performance that I've never seen before. I mean, this is Barry Bonds' performance. I mean, he was hitting everything that was thrown in the strike zone. He was dead red on the fastballs. I mean, maybe he just did a good job studying the pitchers, and maybe the National League pitchers aren't what people thought they were. I mean, maybe the American League pitchers have better, or the National League has better pitchers. That could be a that could be a, a in this sense, it made him hit better, maybe. Maybe he's used to hitting so so good of pitchers in the American League that the National League was like batting off minor leaguers. Well, I do think the American League is better, has better pitchers. Um, you know, Clayton Kershaw had a fantastic year. You can't take anything away from him. But Kershaw faces eight batters in a pitcher. We're in the American League. Take Justin Verlander and look at the lineups he has to face in Detroit. Look at the lineups he has to face in Boston. Even with the Yankees and Tampa and Baltimore, I mean, that DH makes such a huge difference. You know, just look at David Ortiz, who probably is the last full-time DH we will ever see. Um, you know, I, and here, here's my question was, if we remember the Barry Bonds World Series against the Angels 2002, Barry Bonds was intentionally walked more than his actual at-bat, you know, more than his at-bat. Why did St. Louis continue to pitch to Ortiz until about game until game six? I mean, they came after him games one through five, and he hits what seven fifty. Yeah. You can't let him. I would rather put him on first base than give him the opportunity to hit, you know, a home run. You know, I mean, a walk with runners on is better than him hitting a single and bringing in two. Yeah, I, would, I, yeah, I think I think they just thought that hey, David Ortiz will slow down. Maybe they weren't, they don't fear him. And I think Barry Bonds people knew he was juiced, and they knew that he was hitting everything within a centimeter of the strike zone, knocking it out of the park. So I just think they thought mm-hmm. 
that he was he was going to cool off. So so does this put Boston a favorite next year going into the Major League Baseball season? It's not too far away. I mean, April gets here before you know it. So is Boston the favorite? Um, not yet. And when I say that, I don't mean that Boston. You know, there could be a team that. You know, it's it's too early to give them that, and there could be a team that I'm looking at. But it's the fact that we haven't gone through free agency yet, and we don't know where some of these guys on Boston's going to wind up. I mean, Jacoby Ellsbury, Jared Salsa-Demacchia, uh, Mike Napoli, these these guys are all free agents, and they were all key parts to the team. Even Steven Drew defensively was fantastic, and when it mattered most in the World Series, he even hit one out. You know, Boston needs to make sure they can retain these pieces and not lose any of them to the Dodgers and the Yankees. But we also have to see how the Dodgers build since they're looking to spend more and more money. And what the Yankees do with the free money they have with about $80 million before they hit the luxury tax. I mean, we, we kind of have to wait and see, but the Red Sox have to be your favorite right now. Well, everybody in the chat room saying that that Boston is going to keep everyone, everybody's staying, that they've got the camaraderie, they've bonded. So we'll see. I mean, money talks. I mean, some of these guys, mm-hmm. this is a chance to get out and make that big payday. So I know loyalty exists in Major League Baseball, no doubt, guys. But, you know, you throw millions at somebody, they may change your mind of where their loyalty lies. So uh, great baseball season. It was fun. The Braves choke again. I'm so used to it now. I mean, I picked them to win the division and choke in the playoffs. So, Jonathan, if I keep picking that, I'm going to win every time. So, uh, crazy day <laughs> in the NFL. Crazy day in the NFL today. You're, uh, let's start off with a game that's close to your heart. The Tampa Bay Bucks get up 21 to nothing on the road at Seattle. They end up losing the game, what was it, 24-21 to 21 in overtime? 27-24. 27-24. So, what, what was Seattle doing? They, they look like a team. I watched them Monday night. They're just not that good. I mean, Seattle, to me, is a little overhyped. They, they, they're not consistent. They play to their competition. But to be down 21 to nothing at home to Tampa, that really surprised me. And what surprised me more was that they came back and won. What is the deal with Seattle? Why can't they, they play when they play mediocre teams? Well, I, I, don't, I don't think Seattle's playing down the competition anymore. Um, after watching Seattle the past two weeks, I realized that they have a huge weakness at offensive tackle. That's what happens when you're using your backup left and right tackle. But I've also realized that their run defense is atrocious. They gave up, I believe, over 250 yards to St. Louis. Our sixth-round pick rookie, Mike James, ran for over 150 today. Uh, you know, Doug Martin's backup. I mean, imagine what Doug Martin could have done. This, this was just Poor defense by Seattle. I saw poor form tackling. I saw, uh, you know, poor penetration from the defensive line. Just not a very, strong, you know, good defensive effort, and that's the second week in a row. That has to worry you if you're a Seattle fan. Not only that, but Russell Wilson is starting to look like the quarterback that I thought he was. He's not this, you know, he's not this dominant quarterback people make him out to be. Can he make plays and, and you know, be a game changer? He can but he's not a Pete Manning or Ben Roethlisberger or even a Tom Brady. You know, Russell Wilson is more of just another, you know, let's hope he doesn't screw this up kind of quarterback, and he almost tossed in the game with that late interception in the end zone. And, you know, as long as, you know, Tampa just kind of just showed their colors today on how they got up and then just gave it up. That was really a disappointing, heartbreaking, 
we're really going to go 0-16 effort. Um, we saw in that second half. Yeah, I mean, you you look at it. Glennon, Glennon played okay. I mean, 17-23, 168, two yards, two touchdowns. I meant James, 158 yards. But I look at Wilson, and I'm with you. I, I'm not impressed with this guy, really. Uh, I mean, this is his second season. Everybody acted like he was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I think it's because they caught lightning in a bottle last year. I just really think their mm-hmm. 8-1 record's inflated a little bit. I really don't think they're that good. I mean, they've lost some games. And the Rams game Monday night showed me they, they were not that good. Their offense, mm-hmm. they have some holes in it, like you said, on the offensive line. I just don't I don't like their receivers either. And I don't have faith in Russell Wilson hitting them deep or, or being accurate consistently. But that game was a heartbreaker because I thought Tampa up 21 to nothing was going to take care of business, and yet here they go. They just laid down and died. But – it was a fun day in the NFL, and we'll go through some of the games that we that we picked. One not on the list was Carolina and Atlanta. You know, Cam went a few games in a row without throwing a pick, so he threw two today. He looked human today against Atlanta. It didn't look good, but they still won the game with ease. And and I'll ask you, where's where's the Falcons going to go now? I mean, I don't see them winning maybe more than two more games this season. Where are they going to go next year to try to – get competitive again to play in this division because the Saints and Carolina have a stranglehold lock on this division right now. It's between those two teams. It really is. And I saw a really interesting statistic today uh, in which Atlanta has had 39 games missed by their starting players. And that includes Julio Jones' season ending, and that includes Rodney White being out for so long. Sean Witherspoon, I mean, Atlanta's been hit hard by injuries. But before this year, I thought Atlanta was going to take a big step back. And my reasoning behind it was they did not do enough to improve that defense, and it still shows. Carolina put up 34 points, and Cam Newton had a good but not great game. You know, two interceptions, Atlanta's offense usually take advantage of that with Matt Ryan, but he's going to still a gimpy Roddy White. And Harry Douglas, who's no better than a slot receiver. You know, Tony Douglas is being bracketed in coverage, and when he's being manhandled by a linebacker and a safety, there's no way he's going to get open. Atlanta has a lot of holes we need to figure out and need to fix before they get back to even considering contending for a wild card spot. Yeah, well, the Panthers, 5-3 and three now. They're 3-1 and one at home. Uh, they started out shaky. You know, they lost to Seattle at home, and then they lost on the road to Buffalo, and everybody thought this team was done, but the defense of Carolina is one thing that's impressed me so far in this four-game winning streak. They've been shutting people down, and I know Roddy White's out Julio, but to hold the Falcons with two turnovers, Carolina had two picks. To hold them to only ten points and no second-half points, I think this Carolina team can challenge the Saints for this division because if you see the Saints, they're vulnerable, especially on the road, and, and it looks like they're getting – a little worse every week. They started off hot, but it seems like they're coming back down to earth. This division could be Carolina if they keep playing defense. It could be. And I, I want to go out there and say I love this front seven from Carolina. I think they have the best middle linebacker in football in Luke Keekley. He was fantastic at Boston College. If, you know, you guys remember him, over 200 tackles one year. Uh, I mean, just a fantastic middle linebacker. He is a great athlete. And then, with, you know, their big weakness on the defensive line was up the middle, and they really addressed that in the draft. They did a fantastic job at that. They have two good defensive ends. Now, it's that back four that kind of worries me a little bit. Uh, you know, that back four hasn't really been tested a lot this year. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that can, ha- you know, how they'll be able to hold up against 
superior passing offenses, but I still think this Carolina team is a legitimate threat for the division crown. You know, as long as Brandon LaFell offensively can be more consistent as a number two receiver because you can can't just throw it Smith and Greg Olson. He needs to have another receiver to take some pressure off of those guys, another guy he can trust later in the game. Yeah, and I see Cam, you know, he has signs of this is his third year, and uh, I think he's he's gotten a little better, but I expected him to be further along than he is now. I mean, I think he's gonna I think he's gonna get better. I think he's getting more confident and used to the speed of this game. He's he's becoming more comfortable, but today I saw him make some lazy throws and that's gonna get him in trouble when you play the good defenses in this league, you're gonna they're gonna make you pay and they're gonna bait you and they're gonna torture you. So Cam Newton has to get better. But this team has come a long way. Five and three with the defense. It's not about offense for Carolina. It's about that defense and the running game. And they're doing good. I mean I'm very proud of them. And the game currently on Jonathan Vegas toyed with people today. They put Indianapolis a pick 'em on the road at Houston. You know, no Matt Schaub, which could be a good thing. Houston jumped on them 14 to nothing out of the gate. We're early in the second quarter. Andre Johnson, uh, two huge touchdown catches on my fantasy team. Makes me feel good to, from Case Keenum. Uh, what do you think about Houston? Did you think they would come in and, and beat the Colts like this? I honestly did not expect this. I expected a good game. Because um, I, I like Case Keenum. I think he is the best quarterback on Houston's roster. I think he gives them the best shot to win. But I did not expect Indianapolis offense to, to struggle like they are right now. They're having a, they cannot run the ball. They make that trade for Trent Richardson, and he's averaging just around three yards a carry, which is not what they expected when they made the move for him. You know, Andrew Luck's having a hard time without a security blanket, Reggie Wayne. This is a very interesting Colts team because, you know, just you know, a couple weeks ago, you know, they've gotten done beating San Fran at San Fran. They beat Seattle at home. They beat Denver at home. And everybody's sitting there going, well, Indy's a Super Bowl contender now. And, you know, everybody's going to back off, and they're going to jump off that bandwagon now. But realize this is still a good Colts team. It's just a young team. I mean, this, is, this team's going to get better. T.Y. Hilton, Andrew Locke, you know, Waylon, Fleener, Allen, those guys are going to get better offensively and defensively. They have to get better, you know, because it's still just a very young team. You know, just let them play out, figure it out. Maybe this is the turning point in the season for Houston, and they can get back into this wild card race. Well, let's face it, the sixth seed for the wild card in the AFC is wide open. It's anybody's game. Yeah, Paul made a good point. It's, it's everybody, like, you know, anointed Andrew Luck, the king, really, without earning it. But I, I think he has earned it in ways. He's shown signs of being, you know, that Peyton Manning type quarterback. And this, we've got to remember, guys, he's young. He's got growing. He has growing pains. I mean, he's he's a second year quarterback. You have to learn a lot. And I think in the next couple of years, Andrew Luck will be there. But you're right, Jonathan. This is a young team, and when young teams inexperience happens, you have inconsistency. You're going to beat some teams, some good teams that you shouldn't beat, and you're going to lose the teams like Miami that you lost to. You're going to lay an egg against San Diego. You're going to lay an egg tonight. Mm-hmm. It looks like this game's a long way from being over, but. If you're a real good football team, you don't overlook other teams. And even if you're down that night, you'll be able to win. Indianapolis, you know, I look at this division. If Houston gets hot right now with Case Keenum at quarterback and they get healthy, they could make a run for this division. I was ready to crown the Colts champion of this division. But after the night, I mean, if if it holds true and Houston wins, how confident are you that Indianapolis would hold on to this division? 
I still think that's possible. I mean, let's face it, they're not in the toughest conference as is. Um, you know, Indy's still got to play Jackson one more time. And, you know, they still have a couple games on Houston. And let's not forget, this game's at Houston. Houston still has to go to Indy. And that's a totally different environment. Indy's shown that they are a pretty good home team. And that, you know, when you come into the house that, let's face it, Peyton built, that you're going to have a hard time. There's going to be a lot of crowd noise. This team's going to play better. But, I, you know, until I think Indianapolis truly stumbles and goes on a two- or three-game losing streak, is, you know, that's when you kind of hit the panic button because Houston's defense, you know, everybody focused on Matt Schaub, but Houston's defense is actually one of the best in the NFL. And now that they have a quarterback who's not giving up seven points every game, that defense looks even better. You know, because that was the problem, was that the defense was already down seven because Matt Schaub was throwing a pick six or Yates was throwing a pick six. Well, you can't let that happen every week. And now that Canem has showed the ability to not force throws like Schaub and Yates were doing, this defense is playing with even more confidence knowing that they're not going to have to play from behind the whole game. Yep, and we'll keep you updated on this game. Houston has the ball around midfield at 14 to nothing in the second. So a lot of football left to be played. But, again, this is in Houston. They're up 14 to nothing. So lots to talk about next show about this game. Well, the first game on our list we had picked was the Titans went on the road, three and four Titans, now four and four, went on the road to face the Rams after their Monday night heartbreaking loss against Seattle. Uh, I picked the Titans in this game, and I didn't watch a lot of this game. I watched back and forth a little bit, but no surprise here to me, uh, Jonathan. The Titans took care of business like they should on the road against the Rams. Not, not having uh, Sam Bradford there is really going to hurt this team. It is, and Zach Steach, he did a phenomenal job today running the football for, for St. Louis. You know, if you guys remember him from Vanderbilt, he was a good running back who was forgotten about uh, pretty much when it came time to the draft. And he looked really solid and finally has a running back. Tennessee struggled a little today, but they finally figured out in time to get the W. Tennessee is a team that could, is going to try and make a strong push for that second wild card spot. And it looks like Jake Locker has been doing a really good job being an efficient quarterback and avoiding the – the costly mistakes that really plagued him last year. Yeah, the Titans, even their record up at 4-4, four and four, I think that's big for them. Locker's back. He looked okay. I think the Titans, you know, they're thinking playoffs right now. If they can, they can keep rolling, that's a big road win today for them, even though it is the Rams. You go on the road in the NFL, that's a big win. And, Jonathan, the next game was one of my big upset specials this week. The Eagles went on the road. They haven't been able to score. They haven't been able to really – play Chip Kelly kind of football. They go on the road to Oakland. What, what better team to play when you need a win other than Oakland? Uh, <laughs> the Eagles the Eagles just demolished the Raiders here and got going, really. Were you surprised at the score of this game? I, I was surprised. I was surprised to see it so <laughs> lopsided. What I was more surprised about was Nick Foles threw seven touchdowns, no interceptions, and Foles had more touchdown passes than he had incompletions today. Now, I, you know, looking at the Eagles, I believe Foles could be the future of that franchise. He, has show, he showed a, a real good ability today, and he has shown flashes of brilliance for the Eagles. Now, it's all about really, you know, getting him into this offensive system, really get some clicking. When Dick comes back healthy, you have to leave Foles in there if he's running. You know, he's still looking good. I mean, because, my goodness, he became the third quarterback in history, second quarterback this year to throw seven touchdowns and no interceptions. And that says a lot. I mean, Nick Foles has yeah. 
really come along a you know a long way from where he was last year as kind of just a band-aid quarterback. Yeah, we're talking about seven touchdowns here. I mean, seven. Seven touchdowns from a quarterback here. Folds. I don't know if he's franchised yet, but throwing 400 yards on the road and seven touchdowns, I'm very impressed. Uh, Brown had 50, only 54 yards rushing. They didn't, they didn't need to really run the ball today. They were throwing it all over the Raiders. And I, was, I wasn't surprised that the Eagles won, but I have to admit I'm very surprised that they scored 49 points and seven touchdowns from mm-hmm. Foles. I have, to be, I have to be a little surprised in that one. And another game that was on my upset radar that I picked, the Cleveland Browns at home. You know, everybody, everybody was talking about Baltimore coming off a of bye week, how they dominate, how how they were going to come in here. Flacco was going to throw all over the Browns, and they were going to take care of business. Well, I don't think the Browns got the memo. I mean, they came in, they were at home, <laughs> they took they, they took care of business, Jonathan. I mean, twenty four to eighteen, they scored in every quarter of the game, and they held the Ravens scoreless in the third quarter, but. How how surprised are you that the Cleveland Browns took care of business here at home? Jason Campbell looked okay, 23 of 35, 262 and three touchdowns. I mean, is Jason Campbell a, a good enough quarterback, Jonathan, to be able to help the Browns uh, make a playoff run? I don't think they'll get there, but be close. Well, if you, you guys can see in, the, in our weekly pick, uh, I did pick Baltimore early in the week. Today I bet Cleveland to win, just straight up money line. Um, because I had a gut feeling, and before the season, I said the Browns were going to win three divisional games all at home. And I hit the Cincinnati one. Now, Baltimore comes to town, I said, you know what, Cleveland's going to win that game. For some reason, they play in division so tough at home, they always find a way to gut out a victory. I don't know if Campbell can, can make that push to get them to the playoffs, but I, could, I think he can get them to where they'll be treading water and possibly look at drafting the quarterback next year since there's so many going to be coming out in this class that are really impressive. Yeah. The, you know, Baltimore, three and five. Wow. That's, where do they go? One and four on the road. I'm so glad I picked the Browns. But, but does this show you that the Ravens will not make the playoffs this year just by watching this game? Well, I, I already thought the Ravens were going to miss the playoffs this year. Um, maybe get lucky and sneak it as the sixth seed. But this game today officially told me, write these guys off. This is a team that does not have it all figured out yet. Offensively, they will not run the football enough. And it bothers me that Jim Caldwell has Ray Rice, a, a, a top five running back in my mind, and does not utilize him to his full potential. I understand you handed Joe Flacco $120 million, but when you have a running back like Rice, you need to run the football. And defensively, they're, still, they're pretty young defensively. They still need to figure some things out. But for, you know, the Browns to put up 24 points on the Ravens surprised me. And I think it shows that Baltimore really is, you know, I don't think it's just a Super Bowl hangover. I just think that's a team that got hot and got lucky last year. And, and it's just crashing back down to earth this season. Yeah. yeah. And Baltimore, to me, I picked them early in the season, our preseason, not to make the playoffs. That's not going to change, guys. I still feel very confident about Baltimore missing the playoffs this year. Maybe Baltimore learned a lesson about overpaying for a mediocre quarterback that got hot mm-hmm. in the playoffs. But the number two game of the day, which it didn't just surprise me. I picked the Saints to win this game, 6-1 and one Saints on the road at the 4-4 four and four Jets. I mean, the Jets got destroyed against Cincinnati last week and, like, on the show Wednesday night. 
I'm sorry, Jonathan. Take over just for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Saints play the Jets today, and I don't know if anybody else picked pick them dead, but I picked the Jets, and I picked the Jets for one main reason. That's because he's proven to be a football team based off a of pattern. This week they've been winning every other week, and after their decimation last week on the hands of Cincinnati, I mean, they were embarrassed, abolished, destroyed by the Bengals. I thought this was a team that's going to step up. They're going to look to surprise people, maybe get their fans back and make that playoff push. Yeah. The Jets played a fantastic game today. I was really, really, really impressed with the performance the Jets had. Well, they're a good football team, man. I mean, they're 4-1 and one at home this year. I mean, they can't win on the road very well. But, you know, I mean, looking at the Jets, they have more wins now than I projected them to. I mean, just a great defensive team that, that's starting to find their way. I mean, Smith was only 8-19 for 115 yards, but they were rushing the football well, and they were playing good defense. You hold the Saints to 20 points. You did your job. And that second quarter, the Jets with 17 points, that was just too much, I think. You know, and the Saints got the ball back down 26-20 with just under two minutes left, Jonathan. And that, that I think it was a holding call that the officials made sure the Saints weren't going to win that game. <laughs> And Drew Brees had an off day. Let's not, let, you know, let, let's not forget about that. Drew Brees threw, I believe, two interceptions. He might have thrown a third that I missed. But I remember two picks, and it was just one of those games that Brees has that leads me to believe that if the Saints do make the Super Bowl, they're, they're probably going to lose because he is struggling up in the Northeast. He has a hard time up there. You know, we saw in the New England game where he, he had a little bit of a hard time, and they wound up losing that game in gut-wrenching fashion. And then the Jets game, again, you know, he struggled today. And I think it just proves the fact that the Saints really cannot play outdoors too well, especially when the weather is not favorable. That's a, that's a good point. I mean, they're just not the same team outside of that zone. But Jimmy Graham did play today, correct? I saw him out there he playing. He did, and he lit it up. Yeah, but every game, every Sunday before the game starts, he's he's inactive. They, and I don't, I didn't, I don't understand how they can do that. How they can tell you somebody's not going to be playing and they show up every week. I thought that was against the rules. Well, welcome to the NFL. It's all mind games. I mean, if you remember, Tom Brady was on the injury report for three straight years as questionable limited participation in practice with a shoulder injury. That's just the gamemanship of the NFL, and that's why they don't. Coaches don't like to disclose the injury report, but if they are, they're going to find a way to gain an edge on you. And that's by, you know, maybe a player's hurt and you have to game plan for his backup, or maybe a player's not hurt, right, but he's really not going to play, as we've seen with Roddy White for a couple of weeks, and now Jimmy Graham's the complete opposite. It's, it's definitely an interesting, interesting gamemanship by Sean Payton in doing that. Well, our, our number one game, Packers and Bears uh, tomorrow night. We'll discuss that on Wednesday uh, with Cutler out. I don't think the Packers will have too much trouble. I think it's a rival game. It'll be close, you know, for a little while. I think Green Bay will pull away at the end. But do you think the Green Bay is going to win tomorrow night since Cutler is going to be missing? I, I do believe Green Bay is going to win, even if James Jones doesn't play. Uh, this Chicago defense has been – terrible this year, and I don't understand it. I didn't think Lovey Smith uh, controlled the defense that much, but apparently without Lovey Smith, they play no defense. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll cover this game more Wednesday night, but 
you know, it's about college football, the majority on this show. We're 30 minutes in, and people are chomping at the bits to talk about some college football, Jonathan. And we'll talk about your Knowles in a few minutes. But the BCS came out tonight. Florida State did leapfrog Oregon after beating Miami in impressive fashion last night. They're not they're not too far ahead, but the question lies is Florida State looking at the rest of their schedule, Jonathan. They don't they don't play a team with a winning record that's remaining on their schedule. How do you think they're going to fare? I mean, Oregon plays Stanford, and every team left on their schedule has a winning record. How's that going to affect your Florida State Seminoles when it comes to the end of the year if they go undefeated and say Alabama and Oregon are undefeated? It really, really, really. Um puts us in a tough position. I mean, we need Alabama, Oregon to lose. There's no way we can win out uh, and make it if Oregon and Alabama went out. You know, and, and all, you know, looking at our schedule, Virginia Tech losing to Duke and Boston College hurt us more than anything because we needed Virginia Tech to come into the ACC championship game with their only loss being Alabama. We can't, you know, playing Miami again really does nothing for us, just like Stanford playing UCLA twice last year did nothing for them. Uh, and of all the years for Florida to decide to go into the crapper, I mean, come on, man, really? You know, I would have loved to play you guys with, with a winning record, but right now Florida's treading water at 4-4. Four four. They're lucky they're 4-4 four four, uh, at this rate. You know, and I don't know if defensively that team has just given up or, you know, they're just not as good as I thought this Florida team could be. You know, I know they had tough games on their schedule, but the way they lost to Georgia was, I mean, being down 23-3, and that was just embarrassing. Because, you know, if you're a Gator fan, and I kind of felt sad for them. That's hard, you know, that's really hard for me to, to do, to feel any sort of empathy towards the Gators. But, I mean, my goodness, that is, that, the, them struggling hurts us even more because it's, like it's like Oregon beating Tennessee. You beat a... Six and six SEC team, congratulations, but it doesn't really mean much. Well, Florida's had a lot of injuries. They, they've they always had questions at quarterback, and their defense is getting tired. I mean, you watch Florida, I mean, you can't hold up an entire season with your defense if you're getting no production from your offense. But Florida's offense did come alive a little in the second half last night. Excuse me. And let's look at the top ten rankings in the BCS that were revealed tonight. Oklahoma comes in at ten which they have the big game against Baylor uh, this Thursday night. Auburn went from 11 to 9. Uh, very happy to see them in the top 10 of a poll. Missouri is at 8 after their big win last night. Clemson beat Virginia on the road. They're 7. Baylor 6. This is where it starts to be undefeated, really. Baylor 6, but Stanford's at 5 with one loss. I think they're overrated. 4 is Ohio State, 3 Oregon, 2 Florida State, and 1 Bama. How do those top 10 teams, Jonathan, who's the, the most overrated team of the bunch? Um, golly goodness, that's, that is, that's a tough one. You know, I mean, Oklahoma. Alabama, Florida, oh, ooh, really? Yeah, I think so. Oklahoma you think that loss to Texas, Texas was that bad? I do. I think that was a terrible loss at the time when it happened. But I look at Oklahoma, and they're going to get killed by Baylor, guys. They, they're they not physical enough to, to be a top-ten football team, in my opinion. I just look at them hanging at 10. I think Baylor probably put 50 on them and, and blow them out. But I think that will get them out of the top ten. But when I look at it, Missouri, I thought they were overrated a few weeks ago until I started watching them play. And 
and those those guys are good. They play good defense. Their offense is good. Remember, mm-hmm. they have a backup quarterback, and they're winning football games. And Clemson's a little overrated to me at seven. Stanford at five yeah. with one loss. I just I don't know. I just think the top ten. It doesn't really matter outside of the top three. Really, that's that's where the race is right now. But which team in this list? You know, just say. Alabama loses or and Oregon loses, say two of the three, whether it be Florida State, Oregon, or Alabama lose, who can sneak up in there and, and jump past Ohio State? Who are Name a couple of teams that have the power of the schedule and the ranking and the respect from the voters to actually leapfrog an undefeated Ohio State to play a team in the national championship. Um, I mean, Stanford, I think, does. You know, if Stanford beats Oregon, I think they jump ahead of Ohio State. I don't think there's anything Ohio State can do to, you know, to, you know, to get ahead of Stanford. Um, I think Baylor's a team, looking at their schedule, if Baylor wins out, they could easily find themselves up there, uh, no doubt in my mind. And you can't ignore the schedule that Auburn and Missouri have. You know, Missouri had an A&M at Ole Miss, and Auburn still has Bama and Georgia. And I think those two teams, you know, either one of them wins out. They, they have to jump ahead of Ohio State. Ohio State is a good football team in a bad conference, and you hate to say that, but Ohio State is almost like Boise or Northern Illinois. Well, this year, Northern Illinois and Fresno State, where you're like, well, they're undefeated, but who do they play? I mean, that's what everybody's saying, unfortunately, for Ohio State. They're in the Big Ten, and we think so low of the Big Ten. So, you know, Ohio State really is just, they're handcuffed at that four spot until somebody loses because of their, their conference. And, you know, it, they, they really need some pandemonium to happen to get into that top two. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard for – I think it's going to be hard for Missouri or Auburn really, if, just say if they won out, to actually jump an Ohio State team because if, if Alabama or Florida State or Oregon loses, Ohio State's going to move up, of course, but – I don't know. I think people would reward. Now, if there's a one-loss Bama team coming from behind, I would say, you know, that, that Bama could do it just because of the respect they have or people have for Bama. But I don't know. Auburn coming out of nowhere, they were nowhere near the top 25. I just don't think they have enough to, to get them in there over Ohio State. Now, Stanford maybe because they play, they were so high to start the season if they beat Oregon and win the Pac-12 championship. But I think the SEC's only hope to play for a national championship is Alabama this season. And I think people perceive that the SEC is weaker this year, but I don't think so, Jonathan. I look at the polls and everything. I think the SEC is deep this year. They have, what, six teams in the top 13? I mean, that's saying a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it's a – I think the SEC for the past couple of years has been really top-heavy. And that's what people are used to. They're used to seeing, you know, three or four SEC teams who have one, who are undefeated with one loss at this time of the year, and they expect a top-heavy SEC. But those four teams are carrying the other eight. This year, the SEC is deep. It is incredibly deep. You know, you have Alabama, you have Missouri, you have Auburn, you have LSU, South Carolina, A&M. Now, let's not forget Georgia still sitting there at five and three. You know, I mean, I know Florida's four and four, but Florida four and four is better than a lot of other four and four teams you're going to find. You know, and even with teams like Tennessee, and you'll find a, you know, even Vanderbilt, those are tough, strappy teams. I mean, the only team I think in the SEC that really you plug anywhere in their bottom feeder is Kentucky. 
You know, I, I think all the other teams in this conference are incredibly tough. It's just that the conference is so strong. I mean, who, who thought Missouri was going to be up this high? They came out of the gutter last year and raced to the top, and, you know, it's tough physical defense. And that's what these teams need to play and to survive in the SEC. It's tough defense with a quarterback who's going to avoid those mistakes. And we've seen that happen time and time again where, you know, you have Georgia the way they beat LSU and then, you know, the way South Carolina beat Missouri. And, think, you know, it's just really amazing how tough the SEC conference as a whole is this year. It, it really is impressive. Well, if you're a Florida State fan out there, like you are, I mean, this could be a perfect weekend coming up. You know, you have Oregon-Stanford. One of those have to lose. Just imagine if Oregon lost that one. And imagine Saturday night LSU comes into Tuscaloosa where they play well and knocks off Alabama. Jonathan, that's when the pressure gets on Florida State, I think, is when they when they actually do get a stranglehold on that number one or two spot. Then we'll see how good Florida State really is because it's different when you play in November. When you're playing in November mm-hmm. with that pressure, we, we saw it last year. Alabama lost to A&M. Uh, the nation was celebrating because Oregon was an easy lock to beat Stanford in Oregon, and Kansas State had a cakewalk, they thought, and then they both get blown out, really. Or not blown out, but Kansas State got blown out and Oregon chokes. But there's a different pressure that comes when in November when you're in the driver's seat, really. So how do you think Florida State would do if Oregon and Alabama both lose? Well, luckily we have the schedule of ease right now, um, you know, with games against Wake Forest, Syracuse, and Idaho. And, and I think out of those three games, the scariest game would be, you know, possibly Wake Forest. Uh, just because it's an old ACC foe who, you know, there there are years where they just come out of nowhere and slap us back down. But, I mean, I, I think the Florida game with us at number one, the pressure in that game would be the same as the pressure of when, I think it was 2003, when we were ranked in the top ten. Florida was unranked. Ron Zook, it was his last game. He was going, you know, he was being fired. And they came up and they upset us 20 to 13. And I think that's the game that we have to worry the most about. It's not the ACC championship game where we're going to probably face Miami again. Duke Johnson left Miami again. It's going to be the Florida game that has the most pressure on it. And that's the game where Florida State's going to slip up. That's where you're going to see it. And, yeah, I hate to say that, but that is the most daunting game left on our, you know, our schedule. Well, looking at the the Texas A&M Aggies, Jonathan, they were, I think, number 12 in the BCS, and they, they beat Utah, what, 57 to – or UTEP, 57 to 7 last night, and they get jumped. I mean, they go down to 15. I mean, Oklahoma State's win uh, was good over Texas Tech on the road, but how did LSU jump Texas A&M when they didn't even play this week? Uh, because they're playing Alabama this week. I yeah, think that's, that's, that's ding, the same reason I'm going to give you. They they want to see number 13 against number one. They really want to see LSU be a higher-ranked opponent against Alabama. I think, honestly, that's it. You know, if LSU loses to Bama, a and going to fly up. You know, and also, LSU beat Georgia. I think Georgia's win over Florida even helped LSU even more. Uh, you know, LSU lost to Georgia. That loss looks a little worse now. Or better. Looks better. Yeah, my, I apologize. It does, you know, that loss does look better now. Yeah, and you look, I mean, I think A&M, honestly, 
I think A&M's better than LSU. I think they'll beat LSU uh, when it counts. I mean, Johnny Menzel's best player in football. I don't care what anybody says about Heisman races. I think Johnny Menzel's your Heisman Trophy winner if Winston doesn't get it. Just because, you know, he's on A&M without, without, A&M, without Menzel, A&M would be a, a what a seven to five, probably a six and six team at best, I, I would believe. But mm-hmm. you see, Notre Dame, Notre Dame was unranked last week in the in the polls, and and they they played Navy at home. They were a big favorite, I think around what seventeen point favorite over Navy, and barely survived and pulled mm-hmm. out at the end. And they and they jumped two places up in the polls. I mean, what what's going on with Notre Dame getting some love in the polls to get back in? Because I look at the polls, Minnesota. I mean, the way they played, I think they're deserving of a spot. The way Texas has come back playing hard, they deserve a spot. Why Notre Dame? Why do they get the love here? Because it's Notre Dame. Uh, you know, that, that's the only that's the only answer I give you. It's Notre Dame. Notre Dame's always going to get that love and affection. Uh, you know, it, they don't deserve it. You know, I mean, we all knew that going to that championship game, Notre Dame was going to get smashed by Bama but it's still Notre Dame, and people still respect the name Notre Dame more than they respect the name Minnesota. Yeah, but Minnesota, with a, and they're not on our list, but Minnesota goes on the road to play Indiana. They're, they're over a touchdown underdog in that game, and the way Minnesota's been playing, they beat Nebraska, they beat Indiana, they beat Northwestern. I mean, what does, what does Minnesota have to do to get ranked? I mean, these guys are a, are a decent Big Ten team, and I think it's if a two-loss team should be ranked, they should be one of them. You're right, and I, you know, in all honesty, Minnesota's going to have to, you know, beat. You know, they're going to have to win out to even get any respect because it's still Minnesota, and people are looking at all the Big Ten down, and people are blaming the weakness of the Big Ten on Minnesota's strength. You know, uh, they're winning. I mean, they're they're sitting there going, Minnesota's not you know a two-loss team; they're a four-loss team. But the Big Ten's so weak. And, you know, it's like they ignore the fact that Michigan State's a good football team. Wisconsin is a good football team. Ohio State's a good football team. You know, even Nebraska is just a two-loss team. So it's like the Big Ten's a terrible team. I mean, a terrible conference. They have good teams in them. It's just they lose, you know, they'll lose an out-of-conference team. It just blows your mind every year. And I think that's what kills them is how they've struggled in bowl games the past couple of years. And how they, you know, they they just struggled against not in non-conference games against other teams from power conferences. Yep, and we'll we'll follow these these rankings down, and and we'll talk about them, you know, as the season goes on. But I just think, you know, you get to these polls at the end, they just throw people in there sometimes because it's hard to find the best twenty-five teams. Once you get to about number twenty, you're just throwing names in there. Who won this past weekend? How do they look? But Texas Tech's in the BCS, they're at 25 with two losses. I think they're a top 25 team. I mean, they lost uh, to Oklahoma State last night. It happens some nights. You, you play bad. I think they're a legitimate team. They, could, they can beat teams. I think they deserve a ranking. But what do you think about Texas? You know, they lost to BYU early in the season. They laid an egg on the road. They lost to Ole Miss at home. And, you know, they beat Oklahoma, and everything started turning around for these guys. How serious are you taking Texas? And, and if so, where should they be ranked, if, if anywhere, right now? I think Texas is a top 25 team. And I think Texas has finally figured it out. That win against Oklahoma, people are pointing out going, that was big. The way they escaped Ames and got, and got out alive with that 31-30 to win over Iowa State, 
turn their season. I, you know, I think that was the big game. If they lose to Iowa State, Matt Brown fired. That's a 6-6 six and six team at best. You know, they struggle to end the year. They get blown out of Oklahoma. But I think that win was such a huge momentum boost that Texas right now, I mean, they look pretty good. And are they, were they impressive in the win over Kansas? No, they were four-point favorites and didn't come. But still, they got the job done. That defense is finally living up to the potential that everybody said they had. Offensively, they still don't have David Ash, who is clearly the best quarterback. Colt McCoy's little brother comes in, and he's not making mistakes. And that's the big thing right now is Texas isn't having those mistakes. You know, they wouldn't have lost to BYU if their defense had learned how to tackle before they got to Oklahoma. You know, I mean, this Texas team really just blows your mind on how they have so much talent. And you're sitting there going, well, they need to do this, they need to do that. And then they they get lucky and, you know, get a – you know, really just a cheap win the rest handed to them. And all of a sudden, they're finally doing everything you said they should have been doing the whole time. It, it, blows, it kind of blows your mind how the coaching staff can be that, that dense. Yeah, Texas is a team that you have to take serious. And, and Baylor, you know, Baylor was looking at, at Texas a few weeks ago as, wow, we, we can beat Texas. But now you look at it, Texas has the talent on defense to be able to slow Baylor down. I mean, they do. They have big physical – Defensive linemen, good linebackers, good ends, a good secondary. So if you're Baylor right now, Jonathan, you have to be worried that Texas is playing at the caliber of football they're playing at right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, you know, Baylor's offense is something that really you have to love to see. But at the same time, we saw Baylor's offense struggle at Kansas State, and Kansas State's defense played them physical. And the way Baylor's been gashing – uh, opposing teams is yards after the catch. And, you know, defensive backs, will miss, you know, they miss that tackle and the guy's gone for 80 yards. Teams like Texas and teams like Oklahoma aren't going to let you get – aren't going to let you get that chance. All right, they're going to look to wrap you up. They'll give you the five-yard pass and, and look to make that tackle, kind of like Missouri – I mean, not Missouri, Miami did against Florida State, which was, we'll give you the seven-yard route. We'll give you that game, but we're not going to give you that, you know, that game-breaking touchdown. We're not going to let them take a seven-yard pass and turn it 90 yards for a touchdown, like we saw Miami do against Clemson. I mean, Florida State do against well, Clemson. Well, you think Baylor, though. I think this is the week that – I think Baylor's the real deal, guys. I know they haven't played uh, the competition that people are talking about, but with my eyes, when I watch Baylor play, they're one of the best teams in the country right now, and we're going to find out Thursday night how good they are because Oklahoma's a team, Jonathan, you think's good. You think they're good and everything. So we're going to see how Baylor performs. I think they blow them out, and if they do, people are going to have to start taking Baylor serious. So we'll talk about Baylor Wednesday night when we do our show. It's going to be a huge show Wednesday with all the games coming up. Well, let's look at our top ten list. We'll, we won't talk about every one of these, but North Carolina beat North Carolina State. That was our tenth game. And we'll move into number nine real quick. Mississippi State went on the road to South Carolina. South Carolina, you know, lost to Tennessee a few weeks back, but ever since then they've been playing some great football. Mississippi State, I thought Dan Mullen, this was an important game for him to get a signature win over a ranked team, but as as usual, Dan Mullen chokes and South Carolina rolls. Any thoughts on this game? I mean, South Carolina, to me, I think they're in the driver's seat in the East because I do think Missouri's going to slip up looking at their strength of schedule, all South Carolina has to do is really beat Florida, and they're in it. Yeah, and my thoughts about the South Carolina game was that they out 
they were more physical. They outmanned Mississippi State. I think that's what mattered most was when it came down to physicality and which you know the the line battle. South Carolina's offensive and defensive line dominated Mississippi State, and they were able to really force their will upon Mississippi State, and that's how they won that game. And you're right, South Carolina control, you know, really is just hanging back and waiting for Missouri to slip up. And Missouri has two games at the end of the year where they could with Ole Miss and A&M. So, you know, all South Carolina does beat Florida, which they should. It's a home game. And then, you know, they, they're pretty much just waiting to see what happens. And let's face it, it you know, they really look like they're going to get to Atlanta again. And they could. I mean, there's a lot of football left, but, but they could, guys. And the number eight game surprised me, guys. I missed this one. This was one of the two games out of ten I missed. Southern Cal went on the road Friday night against Oregon State and laid the hammer down on them. I mean, what has gotten into Southern Cal? I know Lee was back and everything, but are they that much better, Jonathan, without kissing there? I mean, is Ordron that good of a coach? I don't think Ordron's that good of a coach. Um, from the aspect of, you know, of calling plays. I, I don't think, you know, he, he's this great X's and O's guys. But compared to Lane Kiffin, he's a fantastic coach because he's letting the guys relax and just play football. They don't have to worry about anything else. And that's what's huge for, you know, these, these, these players. Is that they don't want to have to worry about their coach getting canned and the fact that, they're, you know, the, the fans are chanting, fire Kiffin. They don't have to hear that anymore. All they hear are the chance are the fans, you know, cheering them on and chanting USC, and that's what's done, you know, really wonders for this team. And it's a good defense. And that's a really that's a talent loaded USC team. Whoever the head coach is next season, really is taking over a team full of four and five star recruits that can make some serious noise in the Pac-12. Well, Southern Cal reminds me, you saw how Auburn played with Chiswick last, under Chiswick last year. They didn't want him there anymore. They did whatever they could to get him out of there, and I think Southern Cal did the same thing. I mean, losing to Washington State is unforgivable. I mean, that was a game that killed Kiffin, and then to go get blown out by Arizona State and give up, what was it, 60 points or something, uh, something crazy like that. But now you see Southern Cal, I mean, they can contend with some of these teams. I know – I know it's getting later in the season. Who do they have left? Do you know who Southern Cal has left on their schedule? Can they upset some teams? I know they don't. Do they play Stanford? Um, I don't have their schedule in front of me, but if, I, if I'm not mistaken, and, I, and somebody in the chat room, please correct me, but I don't believe USC has Oregon or Stanford the remainder of this season. Uh, you know, and I don't think USC is anywhere near the chase for the Pac-12 South Division. They, they would need UCLA and Arizona State to really slip up. But I, I think USC, you know, let's, you know, they went out, and I think this could be a really big boost for uh, that team going into next season and really yeah. seeing, you know, how this talent with Kessler meshes. Unfortunately, they're probably going to lose Marquise Lee to the draft. And that's where we find out where Nelson Aguilar and guys like that are um, at their progression through their careers at USC. I heard uh... – Gene Chesley is going to take the coaching job at, at Southern Cal next year and turn him into a contender real quick. So I don't know if you heard that or not. <laughs> you <laughs> mean like he was going well, to take over a defensive coordinating job at Texas? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hey, number seven game disappointed me, man. Northwestern went on the road to Nebraska. I picked Nebraska to win, but 
you know, I didn't want a, a backup quarterback, a fifth-year senior with a walk-on or something like that, to throw a Hail Mary touchdown pass to beat Northwestern, Jonathan. I mean, Nebraska's a team to me, look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think they're terrible. I think Nebraska sucks. And I think being in the conference they're in allows them to only have two losses. But come on. How disappointed were you, Jonathan, that that they hit that Hail Mary at the end of the game to beat Northwestern? Because you you got to feel bad for Fitzgerald and what he's doing there. I, I do. And I look at Northwestern, I see a team in a tailspin. That's five losses in a row. And, and that's, just, that's just terrible. And the way to lose was – that was that was awful. My my heart goes out to Northwestern, you know. But you got to feel for that Nebraska quarterback. I mean, he comes in, and that is now the signature play of his career. I mean, he has something to hang his hat on. You know, this was you know I did this, you know. And, and Nebraska, it seemed like you know, every time Nebraska loses the game, it seems like you know they, this is the game that's going to spin them out of control. And after they lost to Minnesota, you know, all I could think was this team's going to lose it. Polini can't, you know, handle the losses with that fan base that's been so rabid and really down his throat every time they lose. And they come back and they win like that. This is – that was unreal in reality. You know, I mean, when I saw the play, I was at a loss for words. I couldn't believe it happened. When's the last time we saw that happen, you know? I know. Could that be something that, that kind of sparks Nebraska? I mean, they need a spark real bad. They're six and two right now, and and they're you know that seems like a good record. But if you've watched Nebraska play this year, beating Wyoming, Southern Miss, getting blown out to UCLA, they beat South Dakota State, Illinois, Purdue. I mean, they haven't beaten anybody. They lost by eleven to, to Minnesota. They lost by twenty to UCLA. But if you look at it, they go to Ann Arbor next Saturday, and then they're back home against Michigan State, at Penn State, and home against Iowa. Looking at Nebraska, they could they could lose three out of four of those games. It's possible. I mean, I think Michigan's going to beat them next weekend. I think Michigan State's going to beat them. I think Penn State will beat them in Happy Valley. So this is a team that could lose five losses this year, or could lose five games this year. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it's really it's really going to be interesting to see where this go. You know, how this handles for Nebraska. Unfortunately, they're going to get Minnesota at Minnesota. I mean, it's a homecoming for Minnesota, to, you know, and that, the aspect of they're coming home after a really tough loss. But at the same time, they're going to Michigan to play a really mad Michigan team. So, I mean, Nebraska clearly doesn't have it going right now, and I don't know what it is, but they really need to figure it out. Maybe it is the fire Polini. Maybe Polini's just not the coach that, you know, some people make him out to be. I don't. I don't think he is, and and we'll follow Bo Pelini and his brother Carl throughout the season. See how they're doing. Our number six game, Jonathan. The Auburn Tigers went on the road to Arkansas. This is a team that has owned Auburn in a way, especially when Auburn's good. Arkansas seems to be that team. But I don't know if you got to watch this game, but it was it was uh, Malzahn decided to use one running back the entire game and run the ball up the middle about every time. They threw nine passes. I think they completed eight out of nine passes, Jonathan, and ran the ball every time. Arkansas tried to play keep away. They threw every trick at the book at Auburn. But at the end of the day, Auburn's talent, I think, in the, the running game was just too much for Arkansas. What did you think about this game? I thought maybe Auburn could slip up in this game. 
you know, I, there, there's definitely a little bit of a uh, distaste for one another between Malzahn and, and um, Bielema, especially after uh, Auburn's linebacker faked that injury late in the game. <laughs> you know, he was hurt, just, man. He was hurt. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. He, 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 he was hurt. Uh, I'm. I'll take your word for it. But I mean, it's, it's definitely. I think there was, you know, both. I guess before, you know, during the week, they did not give each other game film, and they gave each other very limited game film. So I, I definitely think, you know, that Malzahn running the ball as much as he did was more to prove a point to Bielema that it didn't matter how much game film he gave him, he could shove the ball down his throat and still handle yep. our Arkansas. And that's what Auburn did at the end of the day. Well, it's demoralizing when you put eight, nine in the box and you know it's third down and four and you know they're running and they still run and get seven yards on you every time. I mean, it's demoralizing. And I think that, like you said, Billima and Malvon hate each other. That's number one. There's no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So Malzahn was always told by Billima, talked about he runs a spread. It's kind of a finesse offense. Well, Malzahn wanted to show that, A, it wasn't a finesse offense and he could run down their throat. Well, Billima wanted to kind of hurry it up a little bit, run trick plays to try to act like Malzahn, and that didn't work out too well for him. I do think Arkansas is heading in the right direction, Jonathan. I'm not saying that. I think they're heading in the right direction. They're going to be good in the next couple of years, but I don't think, he can never win the West because of, A, his coaching ability. I'm not sold on it. But, B, how is he going to get the talent to come into Arkansas? I mean, they never can recruit the big defensive linemen, really, and the defensive players, the linebackers. I think they're going to always struggle, especially when they can't get on get the players on defense, Jonathan. But I think, you know, they're, not a, they're a scrappy little team, but I just don't think they'll ever have the talent. No, I agree. I mean, Arkansas looks like it's trending in the right direction, but they're going to take the lumps the next couple of years just from the fact that the other coaches in the SEC really don't like Bielema. I mean, that, <laughs> coming to Arkansas was the worst career move he possibly could have ever made. You're right. I, every coach, and, and here's one, Sonia Minson, you know how much she loves Alabama and can't stand Auburn. Well, she was pulling for Auburn last night because she wanted them to beat Dillema. She's pulling for every SEC team every week uh, because she hates him so bad. And this is a coach that trashed the SEC while he was in the Big Ten and just talked mm-hmm. about him bad. Now he comes down here and wants to be like him and fit in. It's not going to be like that. But I don't know if you the, – the, what you were talking about, Jonathan, the swing gate formation, Auburn runs on extra points sometimes. They go for two. Well, Brett Bielema had a slap Malzahn in the face last night. Actually, ran that himself on a fake field goal and succeeded. So, one thing about Bielema, I'll give him—he does have some balls. He does back at what he says up, and he—even though he knows his team's not going to win—he tried to give Malzahn fits by keeping the ball away from him and not letting him have the ball and just slowing everything down. So, I'll give it to him on that. He did coach a good game last night. Yeah, I mean he. I, I, the way he coached was just, it was it was pretty fun to watch and <laughs> you know I, he he was it was one of those or you know I can do anything you can do better and then it became well I can do anything you can do maybe not better but I can do it yeah. like okay well you, you keep playing that game and we'll keep scoring touchdowns we'll we'll see what you know who comes up the victor in the end buddy. Well, you'll see a note of referees out there that are missing calls. I mean, once you go to Fayetteville, you're going to get the referees against you. Well, 
the referee that kept missing the calls ended up leaving the game with an injury. So, Jonathan, could that possibly be a goon Auburn threw in there just to hurt the official? Well, you know, it could be. I mean, you never know. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, I wouldn't put it past them. Let's leave it at uh, that. I know, but but I need to tell people out there the injury was serious last night. If you watched it, I mean, that was a. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna fake an injury, at least fake it a little better than than what he did. But I think Malzahn did that for a reason. He won't admit it, but he's tired of teams doing that to him. So he wants to do something that looks so stupid and so obvious just to get people to start waking up and paying attention to it. Because if you're making the rules mm-hmm. out there and you watched Auburn play last night and do that, you realize that people are doing this every week and you have to change it. I think Malzahn's smart enough just to do it that way. And we'll see Auburn in action Saturday. I'll be there in Knoxville. And for all the Auburn fans out there that think Tennessee's going to be a pushover, they're crazy. Auburn's only a seven-point favorite in this game. A noon kickoff on the road, Jonathan. I think Auburn's in danger in this game. I think they can lose it. Any game on the road, you know, I mean, that, that's how it is, life in college football. Playing games on the road, that's you're, you always have to be an upset alert. You, you never know what's going to happen. Just look at Stanford losing at Utah. You know, it's just the life. You know, well, breaking news, uh, hold on, breaking news right now, Texans coach Kubiak collapsed on the field. The stretcher's out there getting him off. I don't know what happened, but um, just watching TV here, we'll, if anybody finds out what happened, please let us know, 646-716-5564. I guess he collapsed wow. because he finally has a quarterback that can, that can score points. And Andre Johnson's going off, so maybe he's just collapsed out of just, you know, being happy. I don't know. But we'll follow this story and let you know what we find out. The next game, the Tennessee Volunteers went in and, and against Missouri on the road a night game. And you talk about a schedule. We talk about it every show we've had probably, and we talk about Tennessee. I mean, their schedule, Jonathan, has been insane. They played Alabama and Oregon both on the road. They played Florida when they were a top-ten team on the road. They played Georgia at full strength in Knoxville. They played South Carolina. I mean, and now they go to Missouri. Every week they're playing a top-ten opponent. And this week, no different. They go, uh, they they play Auburn in Knoxville. They're number seven. But look at Missouri last night. What went wrong for Tennessee, in your opinion? I mean, Tennessee came in, and a lot of the experts uh, had Missouri on upset alert. But 31-3, to Missouri handled their business at home. how much did the, the rookie quarterback impact that game for Tennessee? Uh, he, what he, you know, he, he made some decisions that kind of made you cross your eyes. Uh, and, he, you know, he made decisions that you kind of expect out of a young kid in the first start. But Tennessee's biggest problem in that game wasn't on offense. It was actually on defense. Their secondary has more lapses than I have ever it, it's ridiculous. You cannot let Missouri's receivers get behind you, and you can't miss easy tackles. And that happened time and time again. You know, you, you, after a while, you want to kind of grab one of the guys, start stopping around, and say, what's so hard about keeping number 15 in front of you? you you're already seven yards in front of them. Keep him in front of you. But they're completely forgetting their assignments and letting Missouri receivers. So Damian Washington essentially walked past a couple of defensive backs, started jumping up and down, waving his arms, the only person that saw him was Missouri's quarterback. It was it, – it blew my mind, the stupidity that we saw from Tennessee's defensive backfield. 
Cuervo is on the line with us. He's a big Tennessee volunteer fan. Cuervo, welcome to the show. How's it going? I'm good, guys. How are you this evening? I'm doing good. Tell us your thoughts about about the balls last night. Very disappointing performance. Um, they looked flat. They looked exhausted. They looked like they've been through a war all season. They just looked flat. From people I talked to, they just looked flat last night. Well, I mean, like you like you mentioned a minute ago, I mean, they've been playing, you know, top team after top team, and that's no excuse. However, I mean, this is a young team, guys. They've started – they've played, I believe the number now is 15 freshmen so far this season. And uh, like you said, I mean, they're playing top 10 team after top 10 team, and uh, it's just it, – it's it's overwhelming. You know, Butch Jones' his first year as the head coach, like I said, no excuses. However, you have to look at the facts. You have to look at the reality of the situation. This is a young team – that's trying to uh, build themselves back up. And, um, you know, as, as a Tennessee fan, hey, I said it from the beginning. I wasn't expecting uh, a 10-win season. I wasn't expecting them to be an SEC contender. Hey, get those six wins and get a bowl game, and, I, and I'm good with that. So uh, for Tennessee fans, hey, this is the growing pains that they're going to have to go through for the next couple of years before these top five recruiting classes start coming in and, and they, they start playing, uh, you know, top-tier football again. Well, I'll tell you this, Cuervo. You have three games left, and this is why I'm worried as an Auburn fan, is you play Auburn, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt. You have to win two of those three uh, to get bowl eligible. So how important is that Auburn game Saturday? And this is the Neyland Stadium. This is where Tennessee plays great football. That's where they, they beat South Carolina. They should have beaten Georgia. I mean, this is a different team when they're at home. So, how important is this game? Well, I mean, I think it's I think it's important just from a confidence standpoint. If they be if even if they they keep it close, even if they lose a thirty-four to thirty-one type game, uh, I think that builds their confidence going into the last two weeks of the season. And if they finish six and six, and they get that they get that bolted, then um, you know, then I think. It, it, you can consider it a you know a good you know a successful year. You know, getting bowl eligible should be successful no matter what. But um, I, I mean, also, I mean, it could be the difference. And if they if they can run the table the rest of the year and finish seven and five as opposed to six and six, it could be the difference between going to a respectable bowl like the you know. I mean, the, the Chick-fil-A Bowl, I know it's nothing to brag about, but it's better than going to the, you know, Gator.com Bowl or whatever the hell other bowls that they've come up with the past couple of years. And uh, so, I mean, that's that, that makes a big difference as well. I mean, you, you play a bowl game where you're going to get more exposure, uh, which could result in, you know, better recruiting in the future. So, yeah, it, it's, it is a big well, and, and I well, can, we and, have... and I can talk I can talk trash to you, Tarvino. You know? Uh, you can't talk trash to me. I got a <laughs> right here. Well, I have Coach Led on the line right now, guys. We're going to let him come on the show and, and tell us about his thoughts on the game. Coach Led, how's it going? Doing good. How you guys doing tonight? I'm uh, doing good. We're in November now, and in college football, the games get tough for everybody. But since y'all had a tough schedule all year. I'm sure it's tough every week for you guys. Thanks for joining us tonight, and tell us a little bit about the game last night. 
Well, we played Missouri, really, really, really talented team, really well coached team. The game didn't go like we anticipated. Uh, we didn't take advantage of – we had great field position in the very first quarter. I mean, really, really, really good field position. If we didn't take control of it like we should have, took advantage of it. But uh, we played our, our young quarterback. He had his first start. He actually did pretty well, for 240 yards. Uh, we just didn't come up with some plays. We had a, a deep ball. We're down 7-0, had a deep ball about a yard too deep. And uh, that would have been a, a, a big game changer right there. And we also had another touchdown drop when it was 10 nothing, I believe it was, or 17 nothing. So we had some plays to opportunities at the beginning of the game that we didn't make, especially having a young quarterback back there. you got to step up your game all at the other position areas. And we just didn't do that. And Missouri jumped on us, uh, got the crowd into it, and kind of got away from us a little bit. Well, Coach, I mean, looking at, you know, we've talked about this on almost every show you've, you've been with us. The schedule you guys have played, I mean, it's hard to keep these guys physically into it. I mean, how's your team looking right now physically after playing all of these top ten teams week in and week out? It just seems like there's never a, a time for you guys to get to catch your breath. Y'all, y'all play good at times, and then you make a couple of mistakes on the road in the SEC, and it kind of gets out of hand. How are you guys looking physically right now? Well, that's one of the biggest issues because we can't practice like we want to practice. One, because of depth, and two, because every Saturday we're playing, it seems like, another top 10, 10 school. So we got to be in, come in with uh, 100% healthy, get all the guys rested and whatnot. So now we play another top 10 school in, in Auburn this weekend, but yet we just played another, and I got, got a few guys banged up that we got to get them healthy so they can't practice like they should on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So that's some of the stuff that we're missing right now. And that'll come once we get these recruiting classes in, we get more depth at each position, then we're able to bang a little more throughout the week. And that way our guys can develop. And that's one thing we're missing on Saturdays is uh, just the physical, the hand punch and the hand violence at the line of scrimmage that we're not getting throughout the week because we got to pull back just so our guys can make it to the game going yeah. through this, this grind, this, this schedule. I mean, this <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, it's every week you play a team. I mean, when you played, you played the top two teams in the country, Oregon and Alabama, on the road. You played Florida when they were full, healthy, top ten team on the road. You played South Carolina, which to me is right on the cusp of a top ten team. You beat them. Georgia was healthy uh, 100% when you played them. You should have won that game. But tell us about the SEC. I mean, like Missouri. I didn't really give them a lot of respect until a few weeks ago when I started watching them play. I mean, for everybody out there listening, wanting to know how good Missouri is, Coach, how good are they? Missouri may have the best D-line in the country. We thought Florida. Yep. Florida has a really good D-line. They have a really, really good D-line. But Florida, they have some great players, some NFL caliber players, Florida does. But Missouri, they have some guys, a little bit smaller, but they get off the ball. I mean, they, they really come off the ball, and they, they do a lot of twists and stuff, and they do it really Has a, Missouri has a really, really, really good D-line. They have some very, very athletic, tall receivers, 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", receivers, and they just throw the ball up and these guys make plays. Uh, well, Coach, James do you think Francis, a Missouri start, team could 
do you think Missouri could hang with Alabama? Because I think they can. When you talk about the physical defense, the big defensive guys, they have big receivers that are hard to defend. I mean, I think they could hang with Alabama if they played in the SEC championship game. Alabama's an extremely, extremely really good team. And so is Missouri. I think both it will be a great matchup for both teams. Uh, each of them, each each team does some things different, and they do it well. So I think uh, it would be a great, a great matchup for both teams. Well, so so you have Auburn coming into town this weekend. I'll be there, coach, to finally get to meet you in person. And that's a noon kickoff and everything. How do you get ready? What, what what's the difference of Auburn really when you look at Auburn and Missouri? preparing for them. What's the differences that you see on film? Uh, first of all, Auburn's quarterback is a runner. He can run the ball. He's very talented with the ball in his hands. So we gotta get we gotta be prepared for that. They have the number one running rushing attack in the SEC. So we gotta be ready for that. Missouri they like to throw the ball a little bit more. Uh also Missouri on the defensive side, they played uh they relied on their front four to make plays for him. And uh, just playing a big uh, cover two shell behind it. Auburn, they don't play man to man and uh, challenge your best receiver and uh, get at the quarterback a little bit. So that's that's where they differ a little bit. Uh, Auburn has some they have some players. They're gonna be ready. So they're they're a very good, very very good team. Well, I mean, your last three games. I mean, you know, you thought. And I thought, and everybody thought that your last four games of the season would be kind of games where you could catch your breath a little bit, and then Missouri pops up, and they're almost a top five team, and Auburn comes in at seven in the AP. I mean, how important is this game this Saturday to y'all? Because I know you can beat, you'll beat Vanderbilt and Kentucky. I think just you're more talented, you're better coached. But how important is this Auburn game Saturday morning? This game is huge. This is uh, we're calling it uh. A one-game season, you got to win the games in November if you want to be playing in a bowl game. And that's our that's our biggest goal right now. Our only goal actually is to get get to a bowl game, and we gotta we gotta win two out of the next three just to make that possible. So, and nothing. They're coming in Neyland Stadium. Neyland's gonna be rocking. That's one thing we we pride ourselves on. We we practice in Neyland. We sweat in Neyland. We bleed in Neyland. So we don't want anybody coming to our stadium and push us around. So. It's going to be a big game for us. Uh, our guys are, uh, got a little salt in their mouth right now from the last two weeks. I mean, you played great at Neyland when we played Georgia and then turned around and played South Carolina. And then for the last two weeks, we haven't played Tennessee-type ball. So we need to get back to that. And it's good to be back home for uh, for a home game. So this well, is I remember your last this is a, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, Coach. Okay, go ahead. I remember the last noon Eastern game you played at home was South Carolina. You guys pulled that game out, and you beat a very good South Carolina team. And so for a lot of people out there that, that thinks Auburn's going to walk into Tennessee and, and come in there and just win, I think they're mistaken. And I'm a big Auburn fan, but I'm a realist too. And and I've said it all year long that the Auburn-Tennessee game is a perfect matchup with each other. You look at the defensive line of Tennessee, the linebackers can stop that running game for Auburn. And that's, that's the key. Auburn hasn't played a, they played LSU and they struggled at times, but Tennessee with the linebackers, the defensive line, I think that's going to give Auburn a lot of, of, of issues. And I think Auburn's going to have to throw the ball in order to win this game coach. Oh, you're absolutely right. We, we can get them throwing the ball a little bit. 
get them out of their comfort zone and running the ball because that, that's what they want to do. That's what they're making their bread and butter this year is, is that running attack they have, especially with that running quarterback. Uh, we get them throwing the ball a little bit. We, uh, we, we have a chance. That'll be our game plan. So we'll see how, how it all unfolds. We're still working on it. We're still watching film. We got back at 3 o'clock this morning from uh, Missouri. So we're still breaking them down and uh, putting our game plan together. So we'll see. But it's going to be a, it's going to be a nice environment uh, this Saturday. Back at home. We haven't been home in two weeks. So it's going to be a great environment for our fans and for, uh, for our football team. Well, Coach, you look at the SEC, and people talk about it being down and everything. Looking at the AP Top 25 tonight, out of the top 13 teams, the SEC has six teams ranked in the top 13. I mean, what what does that say for our conference that we play in? (laughs) Every Saturday is kill to be killed. I mean, we're beating each other up. I mean, if we – the thing about it, you have two teams that are always ready to play each other, so they will knock each other out. You could probably easily put 10 or 11 teams, 10 or 11 teams in the top 15, top 20 from the SEC. <laughs> there's some very, there's some very talented teams. Fortunately, we play each other, and knock each other out here and there. So that's how it goes in the SEC. Well, coach, I want to thank you for the coming best on, and and hopefully we can meet each other Saturday, right? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. All right, but hopefully, you know, I want to meet you before the game, just in case y'all beat us. So you don't, you don't see me all sad <laughs> after the game. So, so I'll be there. I'll be there in orange. I'll, I'll be there in orange. I'll put it that way. Good deal. We'll, we'll touch base for sure. All right, y'all have a good night. All right, you too, Coach. Thanks for joining us. That was Coach Derek Leth with the Tennessee Volunteers, and I'm going to bring on back on Cuervo and Jonathan. Guys, what y'all think about Coach Lett tonight? I mean, this guy shows up every week, and I, I really think Tennessee's heading in the right direction, Cuervo. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think they do too, uh, Brian. And, and, and like I said, you know, I mean, right now for us Tennessee fans, got to go through the growing pains. Uh, there's going to be six win seasons. Might have another seven or eight win season next year, which – Hey, I'll take that. But after that, I think that's when, you know, Tennessee will, uh, you know, start to have, uh, you know, very strong seasons as long as, as long as the coaching staff don't decide to uh, bail like the, like the, the, uh, the coaching staff before. And, um, you know, things, things will get better in Tennessee. Well, as an Auburn guy, it, it, this game scares me a lot. It's because of the challenges uh, they, they present. Being on the road, a noon kickoff, and the defensive talent on Tennessee, guys, that Johnson kid at linebacker, Tennessee can run the football. And, and like I said, Jonathan, Auburn will have to throw the ball to be able to beat Tennessee. They're not going to go into Knoxville and just run like they did on Arkansas and just try to prove a point. Tennessee will not allow them to be one-dimensional and win that game. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, ten- Tennessee's going to force Auburn to, uh, you know, throw the football. And Marks has got to – He's got to come through for Auburn and pull this one out. If he has a tough time, you know, hitting his receivers or, you know, it could be a long day for you in that stadium. That's probably the last thing you want right about now. Uh, you know, it, it, I hope it's a great game. I really do. Well, Paul Paul says week in and week out, I hot Tennessee. Why? And, and it's because I believe in this team. I, I like their coaching staff. And Coach Lett comes on, that's a plus. That doesn't mean – that I'm just going to lie and tell stuff. If I didn't think Tennessee was 
was going in the right direction, I wouldn't say it, honestly, guys. You know me. I don't sugarcoat too many things. But I think Tennessee's heading in the right direction, guys, and I believe in what they're trying to do and and where they're going. So it's going to be a tough dogfight. Vegas has this as a seven-point favorite. That ought to tell people something. The number 17 in the country, um, only a seven-point favorite, should say something. And let's move on to our games right quick. We're past Auburn. We went Tennessee, Missouri. We got Georgia, Florida, the cocktail party real quick, guys. Um, Jonathan, Florida down 23-3 to early. Like you said, they made a comeback. Georgia had less than 100 yards of offense in the second half. Why was that? I, I, I think Georgia's really struggling in the second half right now, and I, I can't really put my finger on it. I don't know if offensively. Their, you know, their game plan wise, they're they're dialing it back after applying so much pressure in the second half. And we saw it against Vanderbilt when they fell apart in the second half. And defensively, their defense is really, really just all of a sudden relaxing. Um, and they came really close to losing that game. But let me tell you, that win right there was so beautiful. The way Georgia won that game and just crushed Florida at the same time, it was so beautiful. My distaste for Florida will always be there. And, I, I, you know, I called so many of my friends who were Gator fans just to make sure they were still alive and didn't have, a, and didn't have their finger on the, uh, on the trigger after that one. Hey, Jonathan, you being a Gator hater and all, just, I mean, is it hard to pull for Florida to win that will help you in the long run, or would you rather just see them lose? <sighs> That's a tough one, Brian. I'm going to be honest with you. That's a really tough one. Um, you know, I would love to see Florida 11 and 0 coming into Tal- you know, coming to that game against Florida State every year. But there's a great side of me that wants to see Florida at 0 and 11 every time they come and decide to play the Knolls. Uh, you know, it, it's a real tough back and forth struggle for me. I have to be completely honest with you. At 6 and 5, I guess I kind of get halfway of what I want. So I'll, I'll call that my compromise. Well, I see Georgia. Gurley came back, and he wasn't in game shape. He made a difference. If it wasn't for Gurley in that first half, that first quarter, Georgia would have lost that game. But mm-hmm. uh, I hope Gurley goes away and disappears for the rest of the season. I don't want to see that beast out there anymore. I mean, the guy's probably the best, one of the best players in the country, probably the best running back. And, and we'll, we'll see how the Georgia Bulldogs do. They're 5-3. and three. They're still in the hunt for the East, believe it or not. Stranger things have happened in this division, and that takes us to number three game. And the six and one Michigan Wolverines went on the road to Michigan State. Michigan State took them to school, took them behind the woodshed, and just stomped them in the ground. Jonathan, I mean, what does that say about Michigan? And also, what does it say about Michigan State, really? It tells me Michigan State is a team that's re- for real. So, you know, that's an offense that has gotten better and better every week. And that we all agree that was their weakness yep. coming into this year. It wasn't defense. Michigan State's defense has proven to be tough, a punishing defense, somebody that Ohio State should be a little nervous about playing. And the way that offense has come, has come along has just really been impressive to me. The way Connor Cook's coming at quarterback and done a fantastic job for Michigan, this tells me they need to go back to the drawing board. Obviously, something is not working. Every year, for like the past seven years, Michigan has scored less and less every time they played Michigan State. What does that mean for next year? Does that mean next year Michigan scores three or maybe they get stunk? <laughs> I, I don't know. But Michigan's obviously the football team we thought they were. 
after uh, you know after their tough squeakers over Akron and Connecticut. This is not a football team ready for the big time. And Devin Gardner proves once again that there will be at least a play every game where you can sit back and go, this is what I was waiting for, him to do something incredibly stupid. And he did it again this weekend, and you got to love Devin Gardner for being consistently stupid. Yeah, Paul did call it preseason that Michigan was frauds. I didn't want to believe it, but I believe it. But look at this Michigan State team. They held Michigan to 168 yards. I mean, Negative 48 that's rushing. terrible. <laughs> Negative, Negative 48, 48 yards. Rushing. 168 total yards. But, look, Michigan State on third down, 9 of 18. That's very good. 50% on third down, Michigan 2 of 14. I mean, this is – ungodly to get negative 48 yards. I know they had some sacks in there that, that takes away from the rushing average in college. That happens, but they only ran it 29 times. They averaged negative one yards, and it wasn't a penalty-filled game. It was a clean-filled game. Michigan State had 25 yards of penalties, Michigan 39, and it wasn't like turnovers cost them the game. It was one apiece. But if you look at it, the defense of Michigan State is for real. They're a legitimate team, and you're right. We, I had to wait to see how they could – how they got better on offense. And like you said, week in and week out, Jonathan, this Michigan State team is getting better. The defense is getting better. And they're going to be a contender in this. In this, They lost to Notre Dame on the road 17-13 to at night. But other than that, they've won all of their games. They beat Indiana, I mean, Purdue, Illinois, Michigan. I know it hasn't been a lot of great games, but they still have Nebraska on the road at Northwestern and Minnesota. I think all three of those are winnable games. This could be an 11-1 and Michigan State team, Jonathan, that could possibly get in the BCS. Well, Michigan State needs a lot of help to get into the BCS because, uh, you know, this week they were number 22. And why they're number 22 is beyond me. And I understand, you know, they're getting no love from anybody, especially that loss to Notre Dame. But losing to Notre Dame almost seems like that's the end of the world now. But this is a team that could knock off Ohio State when they play in the Big Ten Championship game. Yeah, uh, they out, are. Go out there and say it now. Uh, yep, go out there and say it now. Michigan State's defense can keep Braxton Miller in check the way they did Devin Gardner. And that offense is telling you, so whatever you want us, we'll find out a way to outscore you. Yeah, you're right. I mean, look, let's, let's remember – Michigan State is undefeated in the Big Ten, correct? I mean, they're undefeated yep. right now. I mean, uh, they lost an out-of-conference game on the road by four points, and that was early in the season. The first four games are forgivable losses. That's early. But after that, I mean, they haven't put on displays of offense, but they did put up 26 on the road at Iowa, 42. That's not saying a lot against Indiana. They beat Purdue 14 to nothing. I wasn't impressed with that. But they put up 42 on the road at Illinois and they put up 29 on Michigan. I mean, this team's getting better. And I'll say it with you, Jonathan, if Michigan State and Ohio State play in that Big Ten championship, I mean, I'm going to pick Michigan State because I think they're fundamentally sound. They play defense, man. And I think Brecht Miller, he's going to live in a nightmare trying to play this team. So everybody out there is thinking that Ohio State has a cakewalk all the way through. They better watch Michigan State play because every week, like you said, they're getting better on offense. And I'm excited to see where they go from here. I think they can win the rest of their games. They're going to be tough because anytime you don't have an explosive offense and you go on the road, it, you have to find ways to manufacture points. But 
that defense keeps them in every football game they play. And the number two game on our list, Oklahoma State was a one-point underdog, or actually a one-point favorite when it was all said and done, going on the road at Texas Tech. Jonathan, I wasn't surprised at this game. I thought Oklahoma State was a better football team, and I thought they would win the game, but these guys just totally dominated Texas Tech. That's two weeks in a row Texas Tech's lost to ranked opponents. It is. You know, I was worried about Texas Tech coming into this stretch of the season because it kind of reminded me of last year's Mississippi State, where you come into November, you come into late October, you're undefeated, everybody's sitting there going, well, maybe we should take notice of these guys. And then they hit the meat of their schedule. They get hit hard by it. Texas Tech is still a young team with a really young coach. That's one thing we have to remember is that this team is going to get better. Freshman at quarterback, and he's already looking good. Oklahoma State finally looked like the team that I thought they were going to be preseason. Now, you know, that game against Baylor is huge now for Oklahoma State. You know, that could decide the conference. Now, you know, I mean, Oklahoma State lose Texas Tech, and they're out of it. But now they're still in this. They might have just killed Texas Tech's chances, but this made this race on top of Big 12 even more fun than I could have imagined. Yeah, but hey, I have to put an update in real quick. My fantasy team this weekend, Jonathan, consists of mm-hmm. Tom Brady and Andre Johnson. Do you think I'm winning? And Adrian Peterson. Do you think I'm winning? Uh, you know – Slight guess says that you're probably winning. Yeah, I'm winning this week, 165 and a half to 48 and a half. So Andre Johnson. Okay. So has, <laughs> Andre Johnson has scored 48 points. He's outscored almost that team, so he'll end up outscoring them. But the guy still has Aaron Rodgers, uh, Matt Forte left, and and I still have Eddie Lacy and and Nelson as well. So I think I'm pretty safe with my my 120-point lead, don't you? There's a slight chance. There's about a 3% chance that you lose this week. I mean, my goodness. Well, I think think Cuervo's back with us real quick, and and we just talked about the Texas Tech-Oklahoma State game, and that takes us to our number one game of the weekend. Florida State was a 22-point favorite. It dropped to 21 at game time. Miami, to me, guys, and I've said it all year, I think they were a fraud. But they actually played better in that first half than I was going to give them credit for. Miami has a lot of talent on their football team. Uh, I think they will get better and everything. But the Cuervo, how far is Miami really away from Florida State? I mean, Florida State looked human last night. Winston threw a couple of picks. But this Florida State team's dominant. Yeah, they're they're the real deal, guys. And I mean, we all we all knew it was going to happen. We all knew Miami was going to get blown out. We knew Florida State was gonna was gonna show them, uh, you know, who their daddy is. And I mean, the the result of it, it, it I don't think it should surprise anybody in reality. Yeah, Jonathan, I know you were grinning ear to ear last night. Not only did Florida State cover the spread, but they blew out a, a big time rival. Yeah, um, I, I was I was happy we won. Uh, let me let me say that. I must tell you that when it was fourteen to fourteen, I was a very irritable, unhappy person to be around. Winston was overthrowing receivers. He looked human last night. It was the worst game he's probably had all year. He looked he looked human. 
He was mistake prone. I, you know, I was, I was throwing things, and I was very angry. And then my uncle looked at me and says, "You know what? I don't think you're committed enough to Florida State." And at that point, I just relaxed, sat back, and enjoyed what would turn out to be a very beautiful second half. On, on another note, you know, I want to extend my best wishes to Duke Johnson, uh, who suffered a season-ending uh, broken ankle. I, you know, it's always tough to hear about a player suffering a season-ending injury. And rival or not, you know, Duke Johnson is a great running back. And, yeah. I, you know, I think with his injury, Miami's not the same team. They really aren't. I know Dallas Crawford is a good back. And he's a, he's a good, you know, guy to be the next man up. But Duke Johnson is an electrifying, game-changing player. And it's a shame to see him go down. Cuervo, thoughts on, on Miami, where they go from here. They have one loss now. Will they play Florida State in the ACC championship game, or, or did that loss to Duke Johnson just, just knock them out, really? Well, it's, it's a big blow, guys. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to um, run the football effectively like they, you know, like they did before. And now, I know he had an injury before. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. They, so Miami – played with him for a little while without him. So, you know, they it's not like they've never done it before. It's just, you know, can they do it again and can they do it effectively? If, if they can, then, yeah, these two are probably going to meet again. Um, but, I mean, you just never know. But, I, I mean, I don't see I don't see anybody uh, in the ACC on that, on that side catching up to where Miami is despite a loss. Um but, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just, I need to look at the conference and see where everybody stands. But as far as I know, Miami's, you know, well on their way on their half of the, uh, of the conference. And, of course, Florida State's where they are. So I, I expect these two to meet again. Well, I think, Jonathan, it's going to hurt you if you have to play Miami again because you're, you're not going to get credit for playing a Miami team after you've already beaten them so in a perfect world, who would you rather play? Who who could you play in the ACC championship game that would give you some credibility, really? Because I just don't see anybody. Gosh, I mean, you know, I was really hoping Virginia Tech would win out in the 11-1 when we faced them. Obviously, Virginia Tech had other plans. Um, you know, I mean, even after Virginia Tech played Alabama so tough, they decided the past two weeks that they were just going to disappear. And, you know, that's fine and dandy. But the team that's right behind Miami, believe it or not, is Duke. Uh, you know, in Miami's schedule, you look at it, it looks winnable. You know, you're at Virginia Tech, you get Virginia, you get Pittsburgh, you get Duke. And you're sitting there going, okay, well, they, they should easily, you know, win out and maybe lose to Virginia Tech because, you know, it's a tough environment to play at. But then you sit there and you think, you know, wait a second, Duke only has one loss. If Duke were to beat Miami, they become the front runner for uh, the ACC Coastal Division. Oh, it just kind of blows my mind to say that, but we could wind up playing Duke. And I think playing a 10-2 and two Duke team would, would give us a little more cookie points than playing, um, you know, a 10-1 a, a and, you know, and Miami team that we've already thrashed. It, it just – and it's sad to say that Duke – I mean, come on, guys. Duke – if it was basketball, I'd say yeah, but 
But here's the deal, and I wanted to talk to people about this tonight in closing, kind of like you, you have debates, and it's fun to talk about who's going to be one, who's going to be two, what if this. Alabama has a, a gauntlet to go through, and they play LSU this weekend. They play at Starkville, and I know you're laughing, but you never know what can happen on the road. They go to Auburn, which is a top-ten team at the moment. That could change if they lose to Tennessee. But then they're going to play, could possibly play Georgia, South Carolina, Missouri. So everybody that's automatically anointing Alabama into the championship game, I think they're missing the picture. It shouldn't be who's going to play Alabama. It should be who's just going to make the championship game. Because Florida State appears, it appears that they should win out. But Oregon still has some tough games left in the conference championship. Alabama does too. It's all good conversation and everything, but guys, everybody could lose right now. And I've seen crazier things happen. Florida State looked like a team that could win out, but guys, Alabama could lose this weekend. Oregon could lose this weekend, and then we're in a, a tailspin here, trying to see who's going to make it. So, so my advice to people is just watch football, let it play out because there's still a lot left. This is November, and. And Jonathan, are you are you worried if you're a Bama fan looking at looking at Alabama's schedule right now? If if I'm a realistic, because we have to realize that when there comes to you know fan bases, there, there's two sides. You know, if I'm a delusional Alabama fan, I'm still sitting there thumping my chest, going over three p. But me being the realist I am, I'm looking at that schedule going. We've been a really tough road team. But we've been, you know, we, we've had our moments at home these past four years where we've lost games we shouldn't have. And you look at the game at home against LSU, you look at the game against Auburn, and you sit there and you go, well, now, I mean, how is this going to play out? These are two tough opponents. These are two teams that hate our guts just as much as we hate them. You know, they could come out and shock us, stun us, and end our season. Yep. That would be something to look out for if you're Alabama. You, you know, if you're an Alabama fan out there. I'm not telling you to sit there, bite your nails, be worried the whole time. What I'm telling you is, y'all need to relax and realize that you still you have you know five games left, and that you need to win them all to get to the championship game. Stop anointing yourselves national champions already. Yeah, I mean, look, this is Alabama is vulnerable. I mean, just because they – and everybody talks about Oregon. Like I said, Oregon and Florida State, Oregon plays the toughest schedule of the two. Well, Alabama plays the toughest schedule out of all three of them. And there's people that saying that Alabama, if you look at this year, they don't deserve to be number one. Well, the preseason polls say Alabama's number one, and it's, it's due to the fact they won, what, three out of the last four national championships. They've recruited number one classes year in and year out, and they have Coach Saban. So – for somebody to tell me that Alabama doesn't deserve to be number one now, obviously you don't watch football, Jonathan. They don't they don't mm-hmm. watch it, and, and they don't understand that right now, Cuervo, if you look at it, Alabama is number one, and they deserve to be. Do you disagree? No, no, of course I don't disagree. I mean, they, they've – they started out number one, and they're still undefeated. I mean, that's, that's the most cliche answer you're going to get, but it's the truth. They started out number one. They haven't lost, and they, you know they're still undefeated, so they're still going to be number one. I mean, that's that's just the you know the reality of the numbers. But uh, I wanted to answer your question real quick about should Bama fans be worried about the rest of their schedules? Just like Jonathan said, 
Should they be worried? Yes. Are they worried? No. Because Alabama fans are now at the point where they feel like they walk on water and nobody can touch them. And I'm going to tell you the game, and this is not to, uh, you know, I'm not blowing smoke, Tarvino, but you, you mentioned road games. Obviously, the, the game against Auburn is the one you have to be careful with if you're an Alabama fan. I don't think they're, they're going to have no problem against Miss. I don't think they're going to have problems against LSU. I don't think they're going to have a problem on the road against Mississippi State. And obviously, Chattanooga, they're, you know, they're going to be playing second-string guys by halftime. So. Uh, but that game at Auburn, November 30th, that's going to be the, uh, the one that I think you're going to see them get, be in a real dogfight. I mean, a real dogfight. It would not surprise me if Auburn's winning this game in the fourth quarter. And, I, you know, we were talking in the chat room just now. If, let's say Alabama does lose that game, Tarvino, I think Alabama still finds a way. Either they can still be number two, and you would think, well, there's no way. But I, I think because of the respect and the strength of schedule and all that stuff, nah. either they're going to be number two still, or they're going to be – like literally a thousandth of a point or something like that away from being number two. Because, uh, I, think, uh, I think they're going to lose. I think if they lose, they're done. So you're saying if Auburn, just in a perfect world, just look, we're hypothetical here. Auburn's 10-1. and one, They beat an 11-0 Alabama team. Are you saying that Alabama yes. stays ahead of Auburn? Oh, probably because I think I think the climb is too much for Auburn. I mean, it, it, they're number nine, and you still have to you still have to leapfrog teams like Oregon and Stanford and Ohio State, and and uh, you know if if LS, I mean, I don't know, depending on what LSU does the rest of the season, which they're going to lose, so they're not going to be an issue. But I mean, you still have to, you know, Baylor and Clemson, and, and I mean, there's there's teams that you still have to leapfrog. I think it's going to be really tough to do. I think if Alabama loses really to an Auburn team, I mean, you I'll, I'll put it this way. No, I'll, I'll put it this way. Just say if Auburn makes it to 10-1, and one, that means they're probably going to be in the top five going in. And Alabama's mm-hmm. one. If if Auburn beats Alabama, Bama's going to drop down to about number four. And then Auburn has to go up to at least number three or two. So I think if Alabama loses that late in the season, and what you're forgetting, Cuervo, is Alabama doesn't play for the SEC championship if that happens because Auburn would go. And I, I just think they would be done this time. I don't think you could let a team again after what happened when they made it over Oklahoma State not win their conference and let them in. Now, now if Auburn beat Alabama hypothetically and then lost the SEC championship game and everybody lost ahead of them, but if Alabama loses a game, they're done in my opinion. I just don't this late in the season – I think whoever loses, whether it be Ohio State, Oregon, Florida State, whoever, you just don't have enough to come back. Jonathan, am I wrong? You know, the only way Alabama can lose a game and still find themselves in the last championship game is um, if they lose to LSU this weekend. Because they lose to LSU, they still have to play Mississippi State. They still have to play Auburn, and let's say they win those games, win that championship game. You know, they would still need Oregon or Florida State to lose. But I think if they lose yeah. to LSU and win out, 
They can easily frog everybody. They can easily frog everybody. But they can't lose to Auburn and play for the championship game. That's just not going to happen because they won't get that chance at the championship game. And the, we all know that the 2011, was Alabama clearly the best team in the nation that year? Yeah. Uh, I'll say yeah. it. They were. But the BCS and the voters know that if they let Alabama in the championship game after losing to Auburn, it's going to break loose just holy hell pandemonium. <laughs> That's the last thing you need in the last year of the BCS. We need clarity. That's why the BCS, that's why the poll voters and the BCS guys are sitting there going, well, Oregon or Alabama, will one of those guys lose? We doubt Florida State's going to lose. So will one of you two lose so that we have two clear number two, you know, the top two teams? We, we, we need clarity. We need only two undefeated teams this year. So Ohio State, Baylor, Fresno State, Northern Illinois, you guys lose. Florida State, Oregon, Alabama, one of you guys bite the dust so that we don't have to do it any controversy whatsoever this year, can we please get out of the BCS in a nice, nice in the way everybody gives us a, a nice thank you note says, finally, you got the game, you know, you finally got everything right. We got a game we wanted to see. Please, let's make this happen. Is that going to happen? No, because college football hates the BCS, and they're going to find a way to turn it into a turmoil of some sort. But they know they can't put Alabama in if they lose Auburn. Not possible. Not going to happen. Uh, I love you, well, Dr. Bowen. I know every Alabama does, but no. Well, anything's possible out you, there with Alabama when it comes to to polls and everything. But it would be a it would be a slap in the face, and and I don't know if it's going to happen. I'm just saying if, and that's a big if. It'd take a perfect game from Auburn to beat Alabama, and Alabama would have to struggle a little bit. But to beat Alabama and to not go ahead of them would be a, a disgrace, and I think that would cause a lot of problems because I, I don't think a one-loss Auburn team is going to make a championship if that happened. Uh, I just think the credibility of going unranked of being there would be too much. I don't think an Auburn team would jump an Ohio State. Uh, just They would take an Alabama type of team to, to jump Ohio State, guys. But Cuervo, that's some good thinking, man. It wouldn't surprise me. Anything could happen when it gets this time of the year, man. But we've, we've, seen it, we've seen it every year in this BCS. Something happens. And if you think Alabama's safe, if you think Oregon's safe, and if you think Florida State's safe, just keep watching football. Weird things happen when the pressure gets on these kids. And, uh, I mean, it happens every year, guys. It's, it's, it's just not something I'm, I'm dreaming up here. I've seen it happen. I saw, who was it? Uh, West Virginia pulled off, got beat by Pittsburgh in the backyard brawl, favored 28 points. And then who else mm-hmm. wasn't lost, Jonathan, that same day that enabled LSU, a two-loss team, to come in and play for the national championship? Um, yeah, 2007, the year of pandemonium, where we saw Kansas in the Orange Bowl. I mean, 2007 was just one of those years where I think everybody wishes they could take it back. Everybody wishes. And the LSU got in with two losses and wanted to play in Ohio State, who nobody thought should have been there to begin with. Nobody thought LSU should have been there. You know, and, and that, that's, that's the fear of everybody is 2007 kind of November where everybody loses. And mm-hmm. It's not past well, anybody. Well, guys, can lose Florida. Florida. Alabama could lose to Auburn. Thursday night, we could lose, what, two top five teams or whatever. Baylor could lose. Uh, Oregon could lose. And then Saturday, Bama could lose. We could have pandemonium Sunday night when we come back on this show next Sunday night, we could have just pure pandemonium and people thinking they can make it. So these are 
big games this weekend, guys. If you ever want to watch football, Thursday night football, I don't know how you're going to do it, whether you set two TVs up at the same time or you DVR one and and watch one. I don't know what you have to do, but these are must-see games, and I cannot believe they put them on at the same time. Baylor, Oklahoma is going to be one you get your popcorn ready and you get ready to watch it. That Oregon-Stanford game is going to be a dogfight, guys. I still think Oregon's going to win, but we're going to preview all of these games Wednesday night and the best we can because I'm not a, a psychic. I'm not a fortune teller, but I can tell you this. There are going to be some exciting games coming down, and uh, hopefully our predictions will be right on. But it's, it's kind of hard to predict these games in November. But Florida State fans, if you're out there, don't don't let up and pull a Jimbo Fisher and lose to some unranked team because – Jonathan, Jonathan, you'd have a heart attack if Florida State turns around and loses an unranked team and knocks your championship hopes out. You know, thanks for bringing that up, Brian. Um, you know, yeah, that 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 stung a little. Yeah, uh, it would. <laughs> and you know, we're, nobody's saying it in Tallahassee. I'm gonna say it. Florida State's game this weekend against Wake Forest is the third most important game of the week for us. All right, we we're not paying attention to Wake Forest right now. Okay, we're waiting till Thursday to see Stanford at Oregon. That is our most important game right now. And then after we play Wake Forest, we're running immediately back to our houses to make sure we watch LSU at Alabama. That is the second most important game. Florida State at Wake Forest, we're probably going to sleepwalk through that game, unfortunately. We're not going to cover whatever the ridiculous spread is going to be. We'll win by, like, 15 you know, it'll be a win, but you're going to sit there and go, wow, that was a really lackadaisical win, just because we're focused more on number one and number two. And we really want to see, we're praying, and I am praying that Stanford beats Oregon, because I said it at the beginning of the year, and I'm praying LSU beats Alabama, because I would love to be number one and kind of have that stress of fighting for a top two spot gone, and whether we have it, all we got to do is protect it. Well, guys, thank you for joining us on the show tonight. We appreciate everybody. Um, Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, we're going to be live, and we have a huge show prepared. We've got a lot of research to do. We've got a lot of studying to do. We want a lot of callers that night. So Wednesday night, I'm sure everybody's going to be in the mood to talk some football with the weekend coming up. So make sure you join us. Cuervo, thanks for joining us. Coach Lett, thanks for calling in. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Uh, Trey, you had to miss tonight, and I appreciate you all help filling in for him uh, Y'all pray for him. He gets better. He had a he had to have a, a facelift. I think he had. He's trying to he's trying to look as pretty as I am, but it's not working for him. He said. So uh, I don't know, Trey. He said he was high tonight. He said so it wouldn't be a good idea to do the show high. And I said, why not, man? You, it, it may be fun if Trey was on the show high. You know, you never know what he would say. But I'm I'm disappointed he missed tonight, especially with Florida State being as good as they are. But guys, y'all did a great job. Thanks for helping me, and we will see you Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. Take care. Into this world all alone. God takes your soul. You're on your own. The crow flies straight. The perfect line.